0: Do you read the newsletter? Uh, I do. Yeah, I'm Stephen from Ollipop. I my inbox is admittedly a mess, and I get way too many emails. But one of the only emails uh, or you know newsletters I actually read every issue of is the D2C
1: newsletter, hands down. You heard the man. Go to directtoconsumer.co right now and subscribe to our twice a week newsletter.
0: In my humble opinion, I think people over on what Facebook tells them. I admittedly was a victim of this and we kind of started running Facebook ads about a year and a half ago. I was just taking it for face value and it wasn't until we hired an, an expert and she kind of showed me that Facebook shows you what you want to see and you know somebody could click an ad and buy something you know from an email 21 days later and Facebook takes full credit for that. So she's kind of rebuilt an attribution model that looks at some combination of weighting between first touch, last touch, um, and a little bit in the middle to figure out what you know, kind of a weighted CPA looks like on Facebook. And it's funny, after she built that out, the actual acquisition cost on Facebook was like anywhere from eight to 10 times higher. And I was like, ah, it made a little bit more sense.
1: Brands, we need to talk. It's time to start texting your customers. Yotpo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform, has the most advanced SMS marketing solution to reach customers where they are on their phones. Yotpo enables brands to build unbeatable targeted SMS experiences to create customer connections and drive revenue fast. Visit Yotpo.com, that's Y-O-T-P-O.com, and get personal with SMS marketing today. Hello, and welcome to the D2C podcast. I'm Eric Dick, and today we are blessed to be speaking with Steven Vigilante, the growth marketing manager at Olipop. Now we've had Olipop uh, on the podcast a few times now. We've, most recently with Eli Weiss, looking at the customer experience aspect uh, of the brand, and we're really excited to be diving into uh, some, some stuff with Steven on the growth marketing side. Olipop, as you may know, is a deliciously fizzy tonic that combines the benefits of prebiotics, plant fiber, and botanicals to support your microbiome, and benefit digestive health but Olipop is just also such an incredible growth story uh, last year they grew a 1000% year over year they expected to grow 100% this year and are actually on pace for between 3 and 400% growth so they're absolute d2c darlings uh, big on d2c twitter really happy to have you here steven uh, i wanted to ask you right off the top where and this kind of relates to something we heard a little bit about your Facebook acquisition strategies and how they've changed over the last little while. Where do brands, D2C brands go wrong uh, with growth marketing strategies?
0: Uh, I mean, with respect to Facebook, in, in my humble opinion, I think people rely on what Facebook tells them. And I admittedly was a victim of this. And and we kind of started running Facebook ads about a year and a half ago, kind of right before the pandemic. And I was just taking it for face value. And it wasn't until we hired an, an expert and, and brought in a girl from Vayner named Audrey, who's incredible. Um, and she kind of showed me that you know Facebook kind of shows you what you want to see and the way the attribution windows work. And you know, so we could click an ad and buy something, you know, from an email 21 days later and Facebook takes full credit for that, which really isn't how it, it should work. And so she's kind of rebuilt an attribution model that looks at, you know, some different, you know, some combination of weighting between first touch, last touch. Um, and a little bit in the middle to figure out what you know, kind of a weighted you know, CPA looks like on Facebook. And it's funny, after she built that out, um, you know, our, the actual acquisition cost on Facebook was like anywhere from eight to 10 times higher, depending on, on how you looked at it. And I was like, ah, I was wondering. It made a little bit more sense. Yeah.
1: What action did you take when you, when you, fe- when you figured we that cut, out?
0: We cut Facebook spend uh, actually ultimately in half from where you know, at a peak from November last year during.
1: holiday black friday um
0: and where where it is now we actually haven't grown spend for the last four months now um and we ended up doubling down on on influencer marketing and and paid performance-based influencer marketing and reason being we've kind of partnered with this analytics platform called source medium probably six months ago now that's uh, it completely changed our business it stitches together all your e-commerce data in one place with a beautiful dashboard it pushes um, a, a report into Slack every day and just kind of shows you where everything's coming from and you can really go in and deep dive you know, th- by things like discount code and you can see who your top performing influencers are not just by acquisition but by retention and um, it was overtly obvious that the you know both the cost to acquire from influencers and the retention of those customers was significantly better than someone just buying from a cold Facebook ad so um, yeah we're pretty ruthless every month move, moving things up and down, we've scaled up and down on podcasts um, As we record this, we're prepping for uh, our first TV campaign to launch across YouTube and streaming on June 7th, my birthday, next week. And so, yeah, learning that whole world right now. And today's a very manic day. We do a ton of things we still need to do before that can launch, but awesome learning and maybe I can come back on and talk about my TV experience in a couple months.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. You'll be a regular guest. Don't worry. Um, yeah. Let's go back to influencers there. Uh, just because when you say influencer marketing, like are you talking about specifically like influencer marketing for the actual traffic as well or leveraging their assets more into ads? Like what's the main focus with the influencer marketing? Is it using them as content or as their actual scale?
0: Yeah, we haven't done enough of the content stuff. It, we're not spending that much on Facebook. So I don't need as many raw assets as I think other businesses are that, you know, I, I've talked to brands who are spending more in a day than we spend in a month on Facebook and they're testing five to eight pieces of new creative every week. Like that's not how we operate. We have maybe 10 pieces running at any given time. And we refresh it every two to three weeks. So um, if I needed it more, we would do that. But we, yeah, we, we do um, what, what's referred to as direct response influencer marketing where it's you know, a discount code, a swipe up. I always caveat this. Like, I don't think most products are designed for this because the influencers are very expensive to work with. And we're fortunate that we've got like really cute packaging. It's really easy to talk about. It's unique. A lot of the influencers are now reaching out to us and like genuinely love it and have some real relationship with it that allows them to, you know, not just come off as authentic, but be authentic on camera, um, which I find to be very important and very valuable. And so, yeah, it's, it's, here's a discount code. Here's a swipe up. It's good for 24 hours. And, you know, we've had, some crazy things happen with influencers. We had a YouTuber that did, you know, a 60-second ad read, and it generated um, more sales in a day than like we did in in the whole month of March last year, just as an example. And which is crazy, right? It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily listen to those types of people all the time, but there's a lot of people that do, and you know, audience and community is is very real,
1: and um, we've been able to really tap into that. That's amazing. Um, and so when you took this budget out of Facebook, you know, we're all, we all have this love hate relationship with Facebook, even, you know, an agency like us that's spending, you know, a huge amount all the time. And to hear that you were able to, you know, take this budget out of there and still like, did, did you, what were your actual results when you did that? Did your, did, did your conversion rates go up overall? Did your revenue go up overall? Like what actually happened when you cut that Facebook spend?
0: Not a lot, to be honest. There was one of those where we cut it back and revenue didn't didn't flinch much. and It was like, yeah, it kind of validated what we, what we thought. It's one of those things that's hard to really suss out because we did double our influencer spend and the influencer spend really converts well. So like Facebook attributable revenue, you know, probably came down a bit, but conversion rate went up because the influencer stuff converts so much better. So yeah. it's very hard to parse out, you know, exact stuff there. I think I just love that we have this attribution model. We can kind of really look at, you know, Facebook attributable revenue on this weighted basis. There's also like different caveats, like in January, we did a massive and campaign around new year, new me, and then kind of pulled back a bit in February, March across the board, and then went really hard in April with the new flavor launching. So it's just one of those like, we've only been really selling online since the month before the pandemic. And so like, between pandemic and then last summer and then holidays and like flavor launches, like I still don't know what a normal month is like this coming month, actually, this month of June will probably be our most normal month ever because no flavor launch, no promotions, Kind of the middle of the year, the world is opening back up again, uh, but we're also still a predominantly retail business. And so the retail data is is king. And we just kind of use, you know, think about e-commerce as a very important growth engine in the business, but really the way to get the word out and and uh, the hence why we're doing some of these national campaigns coming up here.
1: I love it. I got to just uh, speak out for Facebook advertisers everywhere when I say, when you combine the organic base that your product has, the organic love that influencers give them, uh, and then actually, you know, try some whitelisted campaigns where you're putting budget into those creatives, those creatives will work 10 times better than than the other ones you're doing. Whether you go through that influencer's handle or whether you just repurpose that influencer content, I think it could be revolutionary for the ad side of the biz um, and just make sure that the spend you do put there is like, is fire.
0: Yeah, we we know we need to be better at it. It's just one of those like we don't have an expert in house and our Facebook budgets are just not that big. And so it's it's on the roadmap. I'm actually nice. starting to source some of it now. Um I always joke. I think like we've spent, you know, thousands of dollars on ads, you know, specific pieces of creative that have performed worse than ads that, you know, pieces of UGC that I shoot in the yard outside my house. So It's one of those, like, usually the ugly, simple stuff just converts better. And they all have different use cases, different parts of the funnel. We do a lot on LinkedIn and we just built that an Amazon page a few months ago. And some of that like stop motion, cool stuff, it doesn't work as well on Facebook, does well in there. So it just kind of depends what platform you're talking about.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. You guys have such an array of beautifully branded ads as well. I'm sure mixing UGC into that flow would would be an interesting decision for you. I wanted to ask a little bit, of, you were talking about influencers, but then there's also like celebrities and you have a recent story with a celebrity that sort of kind of came to you organically. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. Um, good timing as we're launching that next week as well. But in my brain, you know, kind of an idol um, and an icon, but a guy named Kenny Maine, who is, I know when I was like 10 years old, I, my dream was to be a sportscaster on ESPN. He was like the guy, the main sports center anchor and was there for 27 years. And um, I don't know, just three weeks ago now, announced he was parting waves from ESPN, they kinda of lowballed him on a contract offer and he hopped on another sports podcast to announce his departure. And they asked him kind of in the opening minute what he was doing, his first kind of day off, or the first day of the rest of his life, I guess. And he says, I'm sitting in, in the, my backyard drinking, you know, or eating an omelet, drinking an Ollipop, and goes on to like kind of gush over us and and how much he loves the product. And he goes, Olipop, you're listening, get at me. So I hop on Twitter. I'm like, I don't know how else to get a hold of this guy. He tweets right back sends me his number, I call him. And, you know, he kind of gave this whole story about how he was drinking two Coca-Colas a day for 25 years. And his doctor was on him for it, his wife was on him for it, and he just couldn't find a good replacement. And then he heard us on an, an ad for us on Pod Save America, a big political podcast last fall. And um, actually texted the guy from Pod Save America to make sure that we were legit because he knows sometimes those ads are just paid to be there. And he hit him back and said, yeah, this stuff's amazing. I've cut Diet Coke out of my diet. And so Kenny ordered some and jumped on a subscription. And you know, as he stepped down from ESPN, he's starting a production company and and getting more into TV and and film potentially. And wanted to like announce a brand deal. And He said he, there was no other brand he'd, he'd rather work with. And for us as a brand, like all you're looking for is people like that who are authentic, uh, you know, obsessive customers, because they're the easiest people to work with, and they can tell an authentic story. So within two weeks, we've turned around an ad that he shot in his backyard talking about his love of volleyball, and it's really on brand. It's super funny and quirky, and. He's kind of got this deadpan humor. He actually bought out a bunch of sugar from the grocery stores around his house and he filled a wheelbarrow and he kind of talks about like, I'm drinking this stuff, not the other stuff. And it's, it's awesome. It came out so good. Um, and he's very, I don't know, he's very much in the cultural zeitgeist right now. He's a fan of the program. I mean, I, he's I calling and we were FaceTiming regularly and I, I was on the phone with him all day when he was shooting it. You manifested
1: it. That's amazing to, to get a child. I'm a huge fan of, of sports programs. Uh, and uh, and I, I think that's absolutely amazing. And even just that idea of him coming on another show after he's free and clear of a bad situation, relaxing with an Ollipop. Like it's just all on brand. It's so good.
0: I, I don't want to say too much yet, but he has a second idea with a very famous NFL player that is like so good. And it's, it's, it's a little ways off, but we're going to run the first one, see how it goes. But if it, we pull this off, it'll be like, It'll be the coolest thing I will ever do in my life. How
1: many NFLers are addicted to soda? Like I bet there, I bet you have a really great opportunity there There too.
0: I mean, soda is a $35 billion industry in the United States. There are, you know, literally millions of people who are addicted to to it. And um, we're trying to do our part to uh, to make some change there.
1: Nice. And when you're on that kind of mission, it just, yeah, empowers this, this growth where you expect it and sort of believe the world deserves it. I mean, we, we
0: talk about this, like somebody like LeBron James, who has, honestly, the biggest platform you could have. And, you know, it's getting paid millions, of millions of dollars to like jam Mountain Dew down like children's throats. You just think about like the issue there, right? Like he could be doing so much good with that. If you had a product like ours that he was, you know, supporting, getting behind and, you know, what he could do in the school systems and in inner cities. And it's just painful to watch, you know, the, the new, the new Mountain Dew flavor, I think it's 75 grams of sugar in it, their watermelon. It's a crime, it's poison. And so, you know, some of these people, it's crazy because I like think the world of LeBron, I think he's a great guy with a big heart and, you know, there's dollars, there's a dollar sign there, obviously, you know, making him act like that. But, uh, you know, as we get into this, you know, world of celebrities and talent, we're having lots of conversations with major music artists and athletes. Um, that's kind of our spiel. It's like, you can really make an impact with this product if you, you know, help kind of push it out there.
1: So amazing the plan for the next couple, couple months and years. Can you talk a little bit, you obviously don't give any details, but can you talk a little bit about the shape of how these partnerships work and how they're fundamentally different from regular influencer relationships?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we're kind of early innings here. Um, I I don't necessarily want to disclose who exactly we're talking to, but they don't do one-offs. There's no just like, you know, with a lot of like the wellness influencers, you're doing like a swipe up and a discount code and maybe you run it back with them a few months later if they did well, but they're kind of these one-offs and you're selling to a very specific target audience. Some of these bigger people, it's like, you need to be doing six and 12 month contracts. You know, there's a package you're buying basically, which candidly works better, I think. It, you want to be immersed in their life. You want them to be holding it where they're going, blah, 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 giving it to their friends. Like you want to make them part of the family. And obviously there's a cost to that, but it gets to a point where like, it's worth it, and as we're scaling mainstream, like when we were in just a thousand stores just in California two years ago, none of these deals would have made any sense But if you didn't have an e-commerce operation up and running. Doesn't make sense, but you know we're six thousand stores across the country now. We're in all fifty states. We're in places like Target and Seven Eleven and completely different parts of the country. You know we've got a thriving e-commerce business, and you know we'll be in ten thousand stores by the end of the year. We're going into the biggest retailer in the country next year. Like these types of global or you know national whatever. Partnerships with people who've got global awareness like start to really make sense and like can really propel a brand forward if they're executed correctly. I see a lot of these big celebrity rounds and big deals and then like, you know, the, the person like posts once a year and it's like, well, what do you even do that for other than like a press release around the round? So yeah, we're, we're very much focused on people who already know and like the product and want to get like, seriously involved.
1: And that's at a revenue level, that's at a like, do you bring I don't know if you can answer this, but can you are you talking about bringing people on as actual partners or equity or holders even?
0: Um, all of the above., interesting. Yeah. We've had conversations where it's just you know us paying for a certain amount of posts and content. There's been conversations around having people directly invest in us. Um, have had you know early conversations around like you know co-creation of a flavor. Um, with somebody you know who could move the needle on it so it's the world is your oyster kind of at, at this point it's been interesting the last 12 months like I used to I live in Los Angeles and I would tell people I was working on this like prebiotic soda thing and people were like what are you talking about and now like in the last even really six months it's like almost everywhere I go and everyone I bring it up to it like knows it and, and you can feel people in my life who used to be like what the hell are you doing are like oh that's that thing I see everywhere and I drink
1: now with my lunch every day and it's cool it, it's 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 cool it's validating <laughs> become ubiquitous exactly. and and one of the strategies to talk a little bit you, you hit on this i think when you're talking about the influencers and just how important a, a native ad read is or or ideally the ideally is an organic situation like mr main who loves your product and seeks you guys out uh you know beyond that it's really about making the ad read as sort of uh, as native as possible and i hear that's obviously the same thing on the podcast side can you talk a little bit about your experience with podcast marketing
0: yeah sure um it's 100 percent accurate. The the better the read. Yeah, you know, the where it falls in the episode is also unfortunately very important. People usually listen to the first few ads and then you know come to, towards the end they're, they're not or they just don't make it through the whole episode. Um, we have kind of like a consultant we work with on this, but I always offer up you know a call. I always want to talk to the host if we can because we have a really amazing story behind the business. The founders are incredible. Um, one founder had his kind of crazy health journey. He's also just brilliant and formulated. You know this is like his third beverage brand and. He formulates all the products in his kitchen. We've got a microbiome kind of research and advisory board made up of four of like the world's, you know, forefront like leaders in the microbiome space on the research side. And so like there's a lot of science and data behind what we're doing. And um, when you when you tell, explain that to people they're like, oh, this isn't just like a you know silly sparkling water with some ingredients thrown into it. Like this thing is really legit. And. I think that often comes through in in the reads versus when we just kind of like write some talking points and, and hand them to someone. And we had a really a bummer of a of a situation happen with Dax Shepard, who's actually like one of my favorite podcasts. But he was traveling and he just kind of like read exactly what what was on the screen and didn't put any personal flair into it. It's unfortunate because he's like an, a massive diet coke drinker. Like I'd say behind like Bill Gates and like. Elon and maybe Trump. He's like one of the most notorious diet Coke drinkers. And he could have totally moved the needle for us. And it was just such a brutal, like sounded so inauthentic. He didn't have his co-host there. They usually banter about the product and she's a huge fan of it too. So it it kind of, it was tough and it it, it showed through in the results. I mean, as good as that episode did that I mentioned earlier with, uh, with positive America was as, as bad as this one was with Dax. And it's, it's unfortunate because they're very expensive, you know, mess ups. It's like that can be a swing of, you know, Fortunately for us, we're like a little bit past the stage in terms of sides, but if you're a smaller brand and you're you know dropping 20 to 30 K on, on an ad read like that, like, and it doesn't go well, it, it can really hurt you.
1: And what made the pod save the, uh, sorry, pod save the queen, uh, What what, America, America. yeah, I'm I'm familiar with the podcast. I was blanking on it. Uh, But what uh, what made that one so successful besides the fact that it netted you? this, There was no
0: read. They were just talking about it. And John Lovett, who I would put in the Dax category of notorious Diet Coke drinkers, literally said in the episode that he everyone knows that listens to it, that he drinks Diet Coke all the time. He literally said he was going to drink Diet Coke again because he found this Olipop stuff. And again, it was a Joe. Bi- it was the Joe Biden interview the week before the election. It was probably their most downloaded episode of the year. We had the second slot. I think it was an Athletic Greens ad, and then an Lollipop ad. Um, it was just perfect. It was, I listened. To, I remember. I, I will never forget where I was when I listened to it. It was like a. You're supposed to get a sixty second read. They went like three and a half minutes. It was so authentic. And um, you know, I got goosebumps. I was like, you. Could, I heard it, and I was like, this is amazing. This isn't even an ad. This is just them telling their audience about this new product that they love, and that's. That's the magic. The same thing with influencers. I review all of our influencer videos. I spend way too much time doing it. We, you know, we do anywhere between thirty and sixty posts a month, and I review all of them before they go live. And I can tell to a T the ones that are going to convert and the ones that are not. Um, just down, you know, it's it's kind of textbook psychology. It's like how authentic and. Real is this, and we—I had—I had had one I turned down yesterday. She's like, you know, high five-figure type of, or a five-figure type of post for a story, and it was terrible. It was like absolutely terrible. I was like, no way would I pay for this. Like, I'd rather not do it than push that out into the world. So.
1: Generally, do you do one for just influencers? Do you do the one-time payments for these things? Or do you do rev share or, or those kinds of things with the influencer? The best ones will
0: not do affiliate model. Um, candidly, they can just make way more doing it up front. And the good brands know that and, and are willing to, to pay. So, um, yeah, mostly generally speaking. It, it's funny. We did have like one of our best performing posts ever. Last year was, a, was an affiliate. Uh, it was one who had reached out to us and we had to offer an affiliate. And it did like... It, it, it was crazy. It was actually, I, I think it was maybe our top performing Instagram story post. And uh, it, it was, that was on affiliate. But yeah, for the most part, it's the, the high performers do not do affiliate. With one caveat there, our AOV is like 45. And so, you know, if we're paying whatever, 10 or 15%, it's a, it's a small prize. Like, I talked to the uh, founder of Fascination yesterday, uh, who was also the founder of Lisa Mattresses. Like, we're selling $1,000 mattresses. Affiliate is very, is very interesting, right? 10% of 1000 is way higher than 10% of 40 And totally. so. Different, different AOV, different world. But he was kind of—it was actually pretty interesting. He was kind of schooling me about how the, that 2 DTC mattress space was really built on affiliate marketing, um, and a lot of those brands. Lisa was really the first one to crack to crack the code. Um, and they had a really interesting affiliate relationship with Barstool. I, I remember back in the day, Lisa was all over Barstool, and you know they were getting a cut of every one of those sales, which I'm sure very, very few people knew that. But kind um, of interesting how that whole world world works.
1: Barstool would be a very interesting partner for you guys, I imagine, as well.
0: Yeah, so another story there. Um, got in touch with them at the beginning of this year. We sponsored some podcasts. It was too early. I think if we went back now, we, we've grown a lot since then and we've got a lot more stores and just, I think it was more mainstream zeitgeist. Um, it didn't, you know, we advertised on a couple of their podcasts. It, it kind of fell flat. Some of the reads were pretty good, actually. And it's interesting they have a mixer brand they work with, so they couldn't specifically talk about how good of a cocktail mixer we are, which I think would have resonated more with their audience than just mm. like the salty soda thing. Um, there's another good example of like how the different types of prompts and copy impact the performance, but it didn't It didn't convert well. Um, I actually just reached back out to them because so I think it would be interesting to re-explore.
1: But and I imagine your script topic. is always evolving. You're always learning, always. going from event to event. And I, I was just wondering when I hear you, because you, you ideally want to tell them and show them all about the product and then the words become their own, right? Like it's not best when you have to explain to them, this is how we'd like you to react to it in a way, right? I imagine it's best when you get them to have those organic experiences. I,
0: I, one of my favorite prompts I do for, the, for anyone in the podcast or if to read is, especially if they're already a customer, like how would you explain this to your mom, dad, brother, sister, who's a soda drink? How would you convince them that this is better? Like that's all it is. I want you to sell this product to your loved one that you care about, that is, um, is drinking regular soda. That, that's almost always the prompt that we go with.
1: That's huge. Uh, nice, thank you for your insights there. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, I had such a great interview with Eli, uh, you know, I want to I have everyone in your company on at some point. Uh, but, either, you know, we went deep on customer experience and his sort of thoughts on that. I wanted to, to ask a little bit about how you guys interact. What are, what are the most valuable ways that you sort of interact with the customer experience team in order to inform and sort of fuel your marketing? Kind of
0: like my running joke internally is like, I make Eli's life hell because I... <laughs> I'm the one running around setting up all the new things that like inherently always something goes wrong and breaks and it makes its way back to the cx team but um no we're, we're like literally best friends we talk all the time shout out to him he just had like the cutest baby ever and is on paternity leave right now amazing um he'll be back back in the office uh actually next week um but yeah we 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 view you know it was it's kind of like a party line i think we use a lot but we we do view cx as marketing channel and i always say like It's the easiest and cheapest and freest, (laughs) not freest, but the cheapest way to communicate with your customers without going anywhere, right? They're reaching out to you. 99% of them have tried the product or are dealing with some sort of issue. And it's the, it's a very, it's very simple to like be friendly and nice and accommodative and and make someone's day and turn them from a detractor to a promoter. But um, beyond that, like we're, you know, I'm, I'm working with our, you know, ads team to make ads that are trying to answer like common questions or issues that, you know, guests or customers are. Writing in about and um, Ariel, who who is kind of our head of like influencer gifting and um, you know supports me in everything I do and, and is helping me with content ideas for influencers and she also you know splits her time between there and like, the customer service inbox and so she's you know on the front lines of what these people are saying like okay how can we use influencers and in the, the 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 briefs we give to influencers to like combat common questions that people are asking around like you know refrigeration of the product or you know what what are prebiotics and what are these different ingredients like we can use the microphone of these influencers to like educate people at the front end so they know what they're buying instead of having them to be confused on the back end. So it's interesting is it seems so normal. It's just like what we do and like the team is so collaborative. And then I talk to other people and like, oh, CX is never into marketing meetings. Like, why would you do that? I'm like, yeah. right, I don't know, I think it's the right strategy.
1: It seems pretty organic. It. Marketers across all industries are seeing CPM skyrocket on social and digital platforms. As their campaigns start to lose effectiveness, they're searching for a new channel to scale efficiently. Tatari helps brands buy and measure ads across linear and streaming TV, capturing the most important metrics so you can assess performance and optimize your TV campaign just like you do on other digital channels. Visit tatari.tv to see why brands like Calm, Ibotta, and Rothy's use Tatari's TV advertising measurement and service to optimize and scale on TV. Obviously, you guys have super lofty goals. I know we talked a bit in the pre-interview about you guys really seeing Big Soda as your main competitors uh, yeah. in, in this game, what do you what do you see as like any roadblocks that the customer has to that happening? Like, what what are your key things you're trying to overcome in order to become everyone's Coke and Pepsi? I
0: mean, price, <laughs>
1: number one answer.
0: Yeah, I, it, at the end of the day, the the ingredients are great and important, and um, you know, taste is king. But the reality is, you can buy a Zevia for seventy nine cents, and then we're two forty nine, right? And and you could get you know online, I don't know. Twelve packs Diet Coke are probably anywhere from twelve to fourteen bucks, so somewhere in the seventy-nine cents to a dollar twenty-five range, and so we're anywhere from you know two to three x more expensive than that. And when you're in LA and you have kombucha shoppers paying five bucks, we're cheap, right? We look great, uh, but when you go to a Kroger in you know midwestern Kentucky. 249 for a little 12 ounce soda like sounds kind of crazy and so we it's on us to educate people out why it's why it's 249 what's in there you know what the functional benefits are of the product like it is like more fiber than like 99 of fiber supplements so there's kind of like that whole angle but um yeah price And, and, and price and i think just like a general skepticism that healthy drinks taste bad there's enough healthy products healthy you know quote unquote healthy beverages in the world that do not taste good and so consumers have almost been trained to be like oh it's low calorie like it's not gonna, you know, satiate me, and it's definitely not gonna crave that sweet sugar kind yeah. of craving that I have, and that's why we know we just have to get it in people's hands. That's why the influencer stuff is so helpful, because like they can tell the audience how well it tastes, and yeah. you know, Kenny Maine can tell the audience what it tastes like. Like it's one thing coming from the brand, but we have this kind of like you know ecosystem now of people talking about how it does really taste like soda. I think people are always shocked that it's not a sparkling water. It's not like super vinegary. Um, it's it's a soda. And it gives um, you that, yeah. I can feel it. Though. I can feel the critical mass of people, like pulling more people into the ecosystem. Yeah, uh, because people love it. I mean, people, people really do.
1: And uh, you've centered on this aspect of it being this solution, like it, it, when you the way the world is happening right now, people are becoming more and more aware of, of big institutions and structures that you're like, Oh, maybe you don't have my best interest at heart. I feel like that's happening on a number of fronts uh, across the world right now. And big soda is a great example of that. Like when you were explaining how Mountain Dew is putting out a 72 gram, like that's almost malicious at that point, like knowing what we know about corn syrup as well. So like the way you've built your marketing organically to these people, actually like overcoming this sort of like blind addiction to, to these products that, that don't, at all have their best interest in heart. Like, I think that's gotta be a real fundamental pillar. And it is like really organically with what you're doing already.
0: Yeah, it 100% is. Um, I love it. I mean, yeah, we've got all sorts of cool gut health stuff we want to do in the future. And it's crazy. It's like, it feels like it's been forever, but it's also feel like it's been a blink of an eye. And it's been, you know, we launched like two and three quarters years ago, I guess now, September, 2018. Um, And, you know, we've gotten a lot done, but we've got a ton of work (laughs) to do. Every, I always say with e-commerce, it just feels like there's like this Russian doll and you, you, you get through like one yeah, you, know, you figure out how to do this. And then you're like, all right, you know, you gotta, you know, there's the next platform and the next, you know, audience you're going to go after. And like, you know, esports is going to be quickly become a really interesting area for us. I'm like, I haven't played video games in 20 years. Like, how do I, you know, it's networking and it's talking to people in the space and, um, you know there's never there's no end right? it's just like the next russian doll is bigger than the one before it and you can start with facebook and then you know get to youtube and tv and you know radio and audio and influencer and celebrity talent and like there's no end of uh places to uh
1: to to market when you divert your focus from facebook a little bit it's it's i think a really interesting lesson um let's dive in on esports just a little bit. Like esports are such a great, you know, with the way mo- the movie industry is going. Like when was the last like big but you know, there's only like a few big budget movies now, and uh like a lot of that attention is flooding into video games. They're actually a bigger industry than than I think the movie industry is now by, by quite a bit. Um and you also it's just this young audience of people that probably were brought up on you know, Mountain Dew Red Alert, uh and, and are increasingly more conscious and woke just because they're tied to a computer all day. Uh, and so, I feel like they're a really great uh, sweet spot for for you guys. What are your plans with with eSports?
0: yeah, i I don't want to say too much there because we have big plans, and I think they're very unique. Um, and I'm very excited about them. But I can tell you in talking to my you know friends and colleagues who are you know either in gaming or in eSports or or one layer removed, um there are very few better for you food or beverage brands talking to anybody in that space, which is kind of mind blowing given how pervasive energy drinks and big soda are in that space. but Yeah. We, we plan to make a splash, um, there and I will will leave it at that.
1: You are like an absolute tornado of growth. Uh, it feels like you just have all these things going on this, you know, limitless idea and energy. Can we talk a little bit about how you've structured the growth team to be able to like, you know, pick up the pieces essentially. And, 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 you know, how, how have you structured the actual team to act on all of these amazing opportunities?
0: Yeah, so I I would start by saying I think we have the best team ever. Um, when we get together, we, we do about a week, a month in a city uh, as a marketing team or a subset of the marketing team, and it is the most fun thing ever. We're all obsessed with each other. That's I like that. There's just like no animosity, no you know no one's annoying. There's no um, no micromanaging, and um, that's like step one is like it's just the culture from the top down is just it's just unbelievable. Uh, it makes work not feel like work at all. Um, and we basically have just like, as we've grown the e-commerce business, like we get to a point where like, I was kind of like the one who was needling to launch e-commerce and it was like me and and David, the co-founder kind of figuring it out at the beginning of COVID last year. And then first step was like, okay, there's a million Facebook comments and emails. We need to figure that out. E- hire Eli, run CX. Then it's like, all right, the website's got all these issues. Who, who's going to deal with those? hire, you know, Melanie, who's, who's kind of oversees the website. So there's kind of us three in that triangle. And then, you know, kind of uh, underneath and adjacent to us are a, a growth marketing data analyst, who's uh, Audrey, who's amazing, um, and handles all like reporting and analytics and budgets and works really closely with me and finance to figure out like, okay, we have to like run a TV ad, like, how much do we spend? Where do we put it based on, you know, also her experience at, at Vayner, she ran the WeWork account there, which is like a $250 million a year account. So has done a lot of crazy stuff, but also like still is young and like knows the platform and can get in there and 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 get her hands dirty. And then now yeah, we've got one other full-time person on CX and then um, now a full-time role on the kind of like influencer Gifting and management. I do all the paid stuff, um, but Ariel is amazing and, and handles um, all of our gifting. And we do big, big campaigns. We launch with new retailers. And it's just like we have a you know, pretty cool influencer platform called Tribe Dynamics that we just signed on with. That's great. Um, and then Alexa is our social media manager who kind of like intersects with all of us in, in different ways. And then we've got um, a designer who's kind of partially allocated to ecom, um, and a copywriter who's partially allocated to ecom, and then the linchpin in the center of it all is our project manager Lauren, who I don't literally know how we could function without her. But as I advise other brands I've invested in and am involved with, I'm like, get a project manager as soon as you can because she's a freaking godsend. It was also her birthday yesterday. Happy birthday,
1: Lauren. I think that's massive advice for people listening. First of all, just getting together with your team—I feel like I haven't done that in in a really long time. Doing it's, that it's regularly powerful, is, really is pretty amazing for the for the flow and for the way everyone interacts. I'm sure. And then that project manager piece, like that's just definitely something I have experience with. Um, being someone who has a lot of different things going on, being really good at unearthing you know unique opportunities, and but being able to have someone that can like tie it all together uh, is absolutely critical.
0: It, it's honestly, some of it's just like someone who can move the ball down the field. There's all the ideas, people, right? But you need the person who's like gonna go to get copywriter and get the copy done, and and bring that to the designer to design, and then it goes to like you know creative director. It's just annoying. It's a lot of pieces in the puzzle, and it's someone who's like super organized and detail oriented, is like really good at threading the needle of like being you know exactly annoying enough to get things done on time. Um, so yeah, she's she's incredible, and it's another one I I had never worked with a project manager before. I'd never really been at a company where that was a thing, and uh, yeah, it, she's 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 a rock star.
1: Very cool. Uh, One of the things, one of the pillars that we always love to talk about are ways that brands can increase their AOV. And I understand uh, in your e-commerce journey, you recently changed pricing strategies uh, around your six packs and your twelve packs. Can you talk a little bit about how that's affected your average order value? We
0: haven't actually changed pricing.
1: Oh, I have a note here Um, that you changed pricing strategy from six packs to twelve packs.
0: I mean, we did that way long ago. Okay, Uh, that was kind of like step one where we were we were selling. $30 $30 six packs with one of each flavor. And it was like uh, every comment we'd get were $5 soda. What the hell is this? And people who weren't even ordering it of course, but um, yeah, that was a very early lesson. We, we really optimized for like really high margins online at the beginning. Um, and the reality is we are a venture backed beverage business that really uses e-commerce to drive trial and awareness. And, and we don't necessarily have to be like Uber profitable online to help you know make it work across the whole business. Um, so we dropped pricing. This was like March of last year. It was actually March 15th. It was like a week, the week that kind of the, the border closed and COVID really started hitting. But uh, yeah, we we uh, got rid of the six packs. They were way too expensive to kit and like the shipping just didn't work. And so we're just, we only do 12 packs now. Um, we've got some variety packs. We did just add shipping back. We just added a 399 shipping charge for yeah. orders under $50 to try to incentivize, um, you know, people to order two or more. We pick up a little bit of economies of scale there from a shipping perspective. It did kind of TBD on, on the impact. Um, we also launched a new flavor the same week. So hard to delineate between a couple of things there, but we're going to monitor it and, and kind of see what happens. You also get, you know, if you subscribe, you, you get free shipping. So, um, I, so our subscription business is, is insane. We're, we just crossed 7,000 subscribers and we had 500 in July of last year. I, uh, it blows my mind how many people <laughs> get a box of olive pop every two weeks, but I think it just speaks to the the quality of the product and how many people like need it in their lives,
1: which is, which is pretty cool. Very cool. Where, where in the flow uh, of buying a product, do you see most conversions into subscription? Is it via email after they've already bought or is it people signing up right off the top?
0: Yeah. Shocking amount of people sign up right away. I think it's because and we've kind of, you know, we kind of have our, how did you hear about us survey at the end? Um, we use one called No Insights. That's great, by the way. We've kind of figured out that about twenty to twenty-five percent of people who subscribe on first order have bought us in a store. That's like a, a good example of that flywheel people they're you know, trying in a store, they look it up online, they see if they subscribe. It's not quite as cheap as buying in a store, but it's pretty close. And we've got a really slick subscription portal. And you know, we we actually text you, but it's before your next order processes, which is a big deal. You can swap and skip flavors, and if you're out of town or whatever, you can you can pause. Um, so we were actually uh, an early adopter of that technology last year. But yeah, we just try to make it as like, frictionless as possible. And the pandemic definitely helped. Like, you know, so many people shopping online for the first time. And, totally. Um, it's cool. I mean, people are working it into their day-to-day and, and, and we make it pretty easy. We can get products almost anywhere in the country in like four days now. We've got two warehouses set up on each coast. So it's pretty seamless. We also have same day delivery in New York, LA, San Francisco, and Chicago. And in those markets, you know, it's instant. You, you order it and it shows up in an hour. So
1: That's so cool. Um, I wanted to ask if you've proven out, because you obviously have such a big retail thumbprint uh, as well as your e-commerce biz. Have you proven out any, any like, strong connections between paid marketing spend and increase at local retail or vice versa?
0: We actually just were talking about this on a call. Yeah. Um, hard to measure with everything going on in retail and the growth. Uh, the stat I've been throwing at people that I think is really interesting. We, we turned on, like really turned on influencer podcast marketing in October of last year. So call it Q4 our retail business from Q4 to Q1 21, we only added about 10% door growth. So we added, to make 500 new stores, um, you know, which is not a lot in, in the grand scheme of things. And despite that, our retail revenue doubled. And you know, our, our sales team is amazing. We have great boots on the ground everywhere. In-store execution is phenomenal, um, but like growth like that just like doesn't really happen in retail mm-hmm. um, it, traditionally. And and so I, I do think there is some amount of that that we could like kind of draw a line to be like okay we started doing all this pretty powerful marketing from you know influencers candidly uh, and podcast hosts and then like you know within six months the business the, the in-store business doubled like that you just don't see velocity gains like that's the that sales per store doubled. We're literally selling more than 2x as many cans per week at Whole Foods currently than we were, you know, less than six months ago. So again, hard to really suss it all out, but you just kind of look at what you're spending and you look at, you know, we we actually have decreased spend from January to now on the paid media side and um, it's the business is growing like a weed. So Something, something's working somewhere.
1: Uh, that's amazing. Well, your partnerships uh that you've orchestrated have to be a, a part of it for sure of, of becoming ubiquitous. We've talked a little bit about esports partnership. We've talked about influencer and sort of spokespeople type representative partnerships. What other kind of partnerships do you do you think about for Ollipop?
0: Um, we do like giveaways and stuff. We try to do, you know, we don't really half-ass anything. Like even our giveaways are like stunningly beautiful photography and um really amazing, honestly. So I always think of like everything we do, we do really intentionally. Um, and then I don't know, in terms of partnerships, I, I think of like, I don't know, like fast casual restaurants are like partners and we, you know, we, we've gone pretty deep with a couple of those, um, uh, types of accounts in New York where, and yeah, you know, like, where we actually have a video guy who goes in, kind of like shoots a little ad or commercial type of thing and maybe tells the founder story, shows the food, shows how I pop with the food. And, um, you know, we'll let them use that, that content to help with their marketing. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We're not, we don't go too crazy. I think some of these like co-creating a flavor with some like tier one celebrity would be like the pinnacle of the partnership concept, honestly, but mm. we don't do We don't do too
1: much of, of that type of stuff. I see it in your future. I think you can, I think you can manifest. I'm
0: manifesting it. it. I just keep saying it. It's going to happen. That's, I love it.
1: it <laughs> so what are your goals for the next six to 12 months
0: at Olipop? We we think we can be a nine figure brand next year, which is lofty, but with the way things are going right now, I don't think it's out of the question. Um, I think my personal mission is to kind of get. We've kind of we are everywhere in the twenty four to four year forty eight year old kind of white female higher household income bucket, which is like Whole Foods and Sprouts, right? And to get this thing to be you know a hundred million dollar business, we need to reach males. We need to reach across. The aisle, we need to reach, you know, different demographics, different socioeconomic classes. And so I'm very focused on figuring out what those next pockets are. Is it esports? Is it doing stuff with people like Kenny Main? Um, we have a very, you know, well-known basketball player who's invested in the business and kind of helping get our name out in, in that world. Is it music? Is it live music? Um, you know, how do we reach these people outside of like our you know current tent? How do we expand the, the pie? And so that's sort of what I think about every day. That's what in my brain growth marketing is, is like, how do we leverage the power of the brand and, you know, the people around it to reach, you know, the right new audiences.
1: And the state of the world as well. Like the fact that the world, especially America is really opening up um, and how you can kind of really capitalize on that amazing trend yep. um, is part of it as well. And it a lot
0: of people got much more into health and wellness last year when they started thinking about their immune systems for the first time. And so I think you know i i do think our products is kind of like the right place right time where you know people want a soda they want to feel better about it and there's gut health and um you know we have i think very cute packaging and branding that makes people feel happy when they need it
1: and all that stuff kind of works together to uh to to build something pretty spectacular i love it okay well we have some quick questions here the first one is one i think you could probably just do a whole podcast on i think you're uh, a big fan of other d2c brands so it, it, pick two other d2c brands that you're a big fan of outside of yours Um,
0: this is, I guess, it's kind of a shameless plug, but I do love everything that they do. It's a coffee business that I'm an investor in called Jot, um, like super concentrated, um, you know, coffee. Uh, I also am like obsessed with this product called eight greens. It's like these little greens tablets that you drop into water and basically makes a perfect green juice with like absolutely no mess and tastes amazing. And like, just- Mm honestly, it makes water taste better. <laughs> um, and they 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 crush it. They do they do an amazing job online. Both those businesses are both small, high value items, light, easy to ship, perfect for recurring, like, it pains me every day watching our, you know, we are shipping, costs. there's really no scale in shipping beverages. It, it, it's expensive, whether you ship one case or 10. It's all by weight, you know, it's all going through FedEx DPS, like, but you know, those products are light, easy to ship, they're high AOV, they're very recurring based, it's like, um, you know, there might be a world one day where we have a product that, you know, plays in some category like that, that's really just built for e-commerce because beverages are not built for
1: e-commerce. Interesting. Now you, you alluded to the fact that you're invested in one of these companies. Can we talk a little bit about your sort of investment history in the space? Like, I think this D2C space is such an interesting place with all the roll-ups happening. And uh, I'm interested in your sort of, uh, your sort of take on the venture space.
0: Yeah, so I kind of cut my teeth there. I, I got into the kind of early stage consumer space through a, a VC firm in San Francisco and um, totally fell in love with it. This is totally my home. I was in high finance before that, which was not my favorite place. Um, and I've just kind of been been fortunate through some like consulting and stuff to, to be able to start doing you know, very small angel investments, just to be clear. Um, but I, I do love it and I love giving back. I love helping and I, I'm mostly looking for founders that I love with great products and um, and oftentimes the brands I get involved with don't have like deep investor networks where I can come in really early in general pre-launch and put in like a very small amount, maybe help them raise more money. Maybe it's through like a syndicate with other friends. And we have amazing investors in Olipop, many of whom have scaled and sold businesses themselves and are now, you know, investing in brands. And there's a handful of us who kind of look at things together. I honestly have had way less time for this in the last kind of eight, 10 months than I than I did before, but uh, I am very fortunate and get a lot of brands and things pass my way when people think I'll think it's interesting. There's an incredible cookie business called Last Chrome that I'm about to get involved in that does these extremely like, bougie <laughs> cookie drops every, every Wednesday morning and they're selling out like $120 boxes of cookies in, in 15 seconds and um, it, like not 10 of them, like hundreds of them every week. And so that's one that I just think is like super rad. The cookies are amazing. The team's awesome. Um, and one where I think I can actually add a lot of value through my relationship, whether they want to go into retail or, you know, do influencer marketing or jump into podcasts. Um, I have a lot of friends in that world. So I really try to get involved with stuff that I use every day and, or, or or regularly and where I can actually like really add value from an early, from an early kind of, from the early stages.
1: And aside from the incoming leads, is Twitter your main tool there for, for reach out and, and research?
0: No, it's not. Um, I'm in a bunch of like kind of underground Slack communities um, nice. in and around the consumer e-commerce ecosystem. And I'm like in several of them, like kind of like the food and beverage guy. So if somebody meets somebody doing something in food and beverage, um, it, it often ends up in my inbox somehow. And every now and then I, I find something that like, I'm also in LA and like candidly, or Air One is a, is, is this kind of high end grocery store chain here that is an incubator of small brands. And, um, I actually have a vegan deli across from my house, which is very LA. I know um, that is like prides himself on having every new brand first. I've actually made friends with with the GM there, and she's always like sending me product. I just like you got you got your people in your life that that are always like bringing you these things, and I can't believe a lot of those people, a lot of the new brands are like interested in like being knowing what's what Alipop is doing, and they're always down to like send product in exchange for you know, a 30 minute call or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's mostly just relationships. I've been doing this for, you know, in and around the consumer ecosystem for seven-ish years. Um, yeah. You just meet enough people and do good things for people. Good, good stuff comes back around.
1: Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at direct to consumer, all one word, dot Co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the DTC c podcast.